the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is a Monday night once again. Yes, it is Monday, April 11th, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens, out to Coop Live. This, of course, is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and from across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can check out the Wednesday show with Cyril Michaleko. Cyril's a progressive columnist from the Bucks County Courier Times, the Intelligencer, and the newly appointed um, editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon. Yes, Cyril and I get together about once a month, maybe more, to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show right now by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and choose your membership level. And you can help out the show without even having to contribute a dime. Head on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And you can check out and hop on our Discord server. Info on that is in today's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams, he's there. And subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just go to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And if you haven't already, I don't know where you've been. Season 2 of Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast is flooding your streams. So get on over there. Right, and we've got one of those members here tonight, I have to say, which is very excited. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's. The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s to latest consoles, video games for plat- all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops. Yeah, all the stiff stuff that you need to kind of clutter up your house. They've got it. Yes, indeed. And if kids got A's at the report card, yep, they get a discount. Want more information? Head on over to the Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Gaming. If you got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegaminpa at gmail.com. And a special shout out, as always, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Dayman. That is at Song of Dayman on Twitter. A uh, special show note um, for Out the Coop Live. Um, next week, we're still kind of up in the air. We might do an open phones uh, session, or we might, um, I'm working on thinking about doing a Bucks County Roundup. I'm not quite sure yet. I've um, got a bunch of kind of irons in the fire for next week. But I do want to say on April 25th, that is two weeks from tonight, um, Daisy Pitkin will be joining us on the show to talk about her new book, On the Line. Yes, it's a story of class, solidarity, and two women's epic struggle to build a union. It's an absolutely phenomenal book, and she will be here on the 25th of April at 7 p.m. But that's then, and this is now. On tonight's episode of Out to Coop Live, I welcome back to the program Shanna Danielson. Shanna is a middle school music teacher in South Central PA. She's a former candidate for State Senate and State House and a 2019 graduate of Emerge PA. Shanna currently serves as Secretary of the Democratic Party of York County, Vice Chair of the Northern York Democratic Club, a member of the Democratic State Committee for York County, an elected auditor for Carroll Township, and has recently been appointed as the Southern Region PACE Director for PSEA. 
And of course, Shanna is one of those awesome co-hosts of Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Yes, Shannon lives in Dillsburg with her husband, son, and many cats, um, which I hope some of them will make themselves known this evening, um, I have to say. And in tonight's show, we're going to be digging into the teacher shortage in Pennsylvania and across the nation. We'll talk about some of the conditions that are driving more and more teachers to leave the profession and fewer and fewer students choosing to become teachers. Yes, COVID, of course, exacerbated these conditions, but the crisis in our public education system runs much deeper. Shanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be back. I am so psyched to have you back on the show. Um, I still go back. I've actually just recently listened. Before we kind of were talking about tonight's show, I went back and listened to um, the show. Um, the last time we had a kind of Raging Chicken Sisters of the Night Caucus, though I think it was Angela was on yeah. um, with you. And that was such an awesome show. And then um, thinking back to those debriefs that we had did about the, uh, you know, the last election cycle, um, which was wild. So it was, it was perfect timing because I'm like, man, I just got to have Shanna back on the show. And then here we are. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me ask, let's, I, I think, again, we're talk about the teacher shortage and the kind of this crisis uh, that we're kind of seeing both in Pennsylvania across the nation. But let me let's just start kind of a little closer to home a little bit. I mean, you know, so you're kind of went back to teaching after kind of uh, running for office, right? Mm -hmm. um, as hard as I've any, seen anybody run for office <laughs> um, yeah. and um, back to teaching music. I mean, just maybe we could start. Well, what has that experience been like um, heading back into the classroom and so on? Yeah, um, it's been a lot. So I... <laughs> uh <laughs> took i i will say i took the rest of the school year off after the 2020 election mm -hmm. um you recall that i resigned from my previous position to focus on the campaign um and also it was a pandemic and so like it, nobody was really able to to properly teach music anyway um and my school district at that time where i worked was toxic and just not um not a good place to be even if i wasn't trying to run for office so um you know we lost which was garbage um but yeah i don't i don't regret what we did um even now uh but i took a i cook <laughs> i took a couple of months to just catch my breath um running for office is always hard running for office as a parent and a woman is really hard Running for office during a pandemic <laughs> was a level of hard that I was not prepared for. Um, and, and honestly, there are days where I feel like I'm still tired from 2020. Just yeah. I stop and think like all the things that have happened in the last couple of years. And um, what did this really like really did all of this happen? So it took a couple of months uh, and honestly just tried to decide, like, do I want to go back into the classroom? And silly me, you know, last summer COVID numbers were coming down and I thought like, okay, well, maybe, maybe if I'm going to go back, like this is an okay time to do it. I didn't want to mm -hmm. teach during, during that first full year during, you know, I, yeah, I was I teaching that. when the world shut down. And then I thought like, oh, this is going to be the worst year ever to teach 2021. Like, no way. That's going to be too much. Um, and so I didn't have to deal with the hybrid schedules or the teaching on Zoom other than those first couple months, um, right when things shut down. So I thought to myself, like, okay, well, this year is going to kind of be normal. And I can handle this, like I can do this, um, got a job doing exactly what I wanted it to do, which was beginning an early middle school band. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I love. That's why I became a teacher to, to do those, those very specific things. So I thought like, this is perfect. And then, um, you know, numbers started to spike a little bit, like right as the school year was was getting off to a bumpy start. And then the mask mandate came. And um, I was personally grateful for the mask mandate because I was wearing a mask anyway. And yeah. um, so you went when you were going back, you went to back in the in the fall. There was no mandate at that point at your school. It was nope. it came in once you started. Wow. Nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say nowhere, but most schools in South Central PA did not have mandatory gotcha. masking. Um, it was optional until the governor issued his declaration in September or whenever that was. Um, and then immediately, I mean, like, you know what has happened everywhere, right? Yes, Is indeed. the the community response from not the entire community, but from enough people that it has just made this year um, 
you know, I didn't teach last year, so I don't have the personal comparison to say compared to last year, but everyone I work with who I talk to says that this year is worse and it's worse because it's, we're still very much dealing with the pandemic, except everyone wanted to just pretend it was over. And Mm -hmm. so everything has to be normal now. Teach exactly the way you would have taught before. Oh, what's that? Half your class is out on quarantine? Don't care. Expectations are are the same. Um, And it also comes with this increased scrutiny from the community that I think um, I had certainly never had to deal with in my career. Um, I'll tell a brief story. Um, Our district has new teachers come to I think I've told you this before, uh, come to a, a school board meeting at the beginning of the year to introduce ourselves. And, you know, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I went to college here and I have this many children, like whatever, just like a cordial mm-hmm. hello um, to the school board and, and the parents. And the first teacher to get up um, was yelled at by a parent in the audience who said, take your mask off so we could see your face. And the teacher respectfully declined wow. and said, I, I'll keep it on. Thank you. And they booed her. They booed her and the board and the administrators just sat there and didn't say anything. Um, They just, that must be maddening that part of it. I mean, it's bad enough to have a parent come up and do that in kind of public and set a tone for everything else is about to follow, but to have to be a clear message that your superiors, your bosses, superintendents do not have your back in that. And that's exactly what it felt like. You know, um, for that teacher and then all the rest of us who had to go up after and endure that same climate. And it took, um, you know, there was like a brief kind of scuttle of an apology, like right after the meeting that we had to sit through the duration of and listen to all the parents tell us we're child abusers because we wanted our, you know, we were going to follow the mask mandate. Um, But it took two weeks for the admin to um, to send an email to those of us who were at that meeting to apologize and and that same feeling of like not like betrayal but just but just like i don't even know what word i want to use to describe it this just emptiness of like if my administrators don't have my back in this environment who does um has been like the dark cloud kind of hanging over the whole school year so i don't want to say the whole thing is doom and gloom the kids are great the kids are going through something i cannot imagine going through as a middle schooler you know what i mean Uh, i look at my own son who is in second grade and i cannot imagine experiencing what these kids are, are dealing with when i was that age and so you know, the kids are wonderful and I teach band, which is like the most fun, awesome thing to teach. <laughs> but also like I nicknamed flutes murder tubes because they're just blowing all these aerosols directly in your face, you know. Um, and, you know, we've been lucky. <laughs> we've been relatively lucky. Um, none of my ensembles have been super spreader oh events. And, you know, okay. masking has been so relaxed. We've hardly had any reported cases in the county where I teach. So it, it does feel a little better now, mm-hmm. but you can't undo what the year has been. Um, and we have 29 student days left of this year. And I got to tell you, it it feels like it's gone by in a flash, but also like it's been the longest year of yes. my life. I'm so glad you said that. I, I That's a sentiment that I hear. I mean, I certainly experience almost exactly like that at, you know, teaching at the university level. But my friends who are teachers um, express kind of a version of what you just said, right? It just kind of say like, God, I can't believe we're here already. But like, oh, my God, it took forever to get here. But it feels like it went in a flash. Let let me ask you what you mentioned this stuff, you know, so you weren't there for last year. I'm curious about those teachers that were there and the stories that told about kind of coming back, because I can imagine, I, I certainly have felt this sentiment, you know, kind of in, 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 in my work, but it's like the sense that, you know, that first year, that first full year, it's kind of like, it's a mentality of you're just, you're just going to, you're just going to trudge through it, right? You're going to plow through it to get through. And you know that it's going to take a year and it's a struggle, but you're going to do that. But then after that, to come back and to have this around, it seems like, you know, I think like our, a lot of folks' energy is just depleted, right? Yeah. And there's like a, a, a I, I don't know if you'd use these words, but I mean, like just this kind of like almost like a process of grieving for the time of the past year and having to come back and then find out that you're on your own. And that's exactly what it is. It's the it's the you're on your own. Um and, and not to put that on any one person, because I don't think we can, right. but I just feel like the societal expectation in this country has been, we spent too much time on this and we don't have time and it's not good for the bosses. So like, 
make us some money now, people. And I realize that's not entirely how it works in education. Um, but it is just, you know, you read story after story. Every teacher you talk to will tell you a very similar you know, feeling where it's last year, there was an understanding that we are going through something. We are having this collective experience right now um, with our students, with, you know, with our families, with our communities. And it's almost like on that first day of school, it was just kind of expected like, well, we're done with that now. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we went all of last year not getting COVID, which was great. And then my son got it. Um, I tested positive on my birthday. In October. (laughs) Yeah, happy birthday to me. Um, And we're, you know, fully vaccinated. And Mm -hmm. it was still four days of absolute garbage. I still don't have my taste and smell all the way back. It's been five months. Um, And I burned through my entire allotment of PTO. All my sick days, my personal days, it was all gone by October. So like, not only are you going through this traumatic thing of getting this illness and then also like the pressure, you know, we did everything right. Didn't matter. And I know you've experienced this yep, too. Same. Both my kids. Um, yep, exactly. You know, and, and but then also to have to go through an entire school year then with no days. I can't just take a day off if I'm tired. I don't have a day to take. Um, I had to take a couple of days on paid. My son got the flu because this year wasn't crazy enough. He got the flu uh, maybe six or seven weeks ago and was in the hospital. So I had to take days with no pay. So not only is my son, you know, going through this trauma and I'm trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to pay these hospital bills right. and meet our crazy deductible. Um, then also it's, oh, and you're, you're going to have your pay docked. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, last year there were those COVID emergency days. Rules are rules. Yeah. This <laughs> right. year, mm-hmm. my school district did not push for that. And my union is um, my local, I should say my local is not particularly strong and they did not push for an MOU for, you know, for those COVID days to be added again. And and they could have, and they didn't. And um, so, you know, that just kind of adds to it. And that's the thing this year is, again, I didn't teach last year, so I am not claiming to be an expert on the differences. However, all the extra little supports that were in place and honestly, just the understanding that that this is weird and we're all in this together, that's gone. There is no we're all in this together anymore. There's empty platitudes and there's um, – we just had an in-service where the, the administrators asked us, you know, what's what's standing in the way of your motivation? And it's like, what isn't? You. How yeah, about you? Right? <laughs> um, you know, in some respects, I'm grateful that a couple of weeks ago we did have an in-service because it got to the point where I think my superintendent realized – there's something really wrong. The staff is feeling a lot of feelings and like we got to talk about this. And so I I will give credit where credit is due mm-hmm. that they they took time. They pushed for a, um, a virtual instruction day. So the kids all learned from home while we had staff time. And we talked about this. We talked about it in our buildings and in our departments. And they listened to what we said. And it was it was both um, reaffirming and also incredibly depressing to hear yeah. how many of my colleagues said the same exact things that I've been feeling. You know, we don't feel like we have any support in the community. If they don't think we're pedophiles or child abusers, they think that we are indoctrinating and racist. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and we clearly do not get paid enough for this. And I read a really interesting um, thing about how or maybe it was um, it was on a podcast I was listening to, uh, the Have You Heard podcast. It's like Jack Schneider and yep, Jen, yep. okay, um, where they were talking about how teachers used to feel this sense of of like moral payment almost. You know, like we get paid like jack shit. However, we feel so good about what we do because we know how important it is that it almost makes up for how little we get paid. Mm-hmm. And we're not feeling that anymore. So it, we feel like yep. we're getting a pay cut. Um you know, and it's everywhere. And I said this in that Penn Capital Star article, and I will say it to everyone who listens. We're not burning out. We're being burned. And that's yeah, I, well, and I stand by that. 100%. And that's like, that's, I mean, I hate to say that everything you've just laid out there is like lays the predicate for that article. Um, yeah. But um, in that piece, I, I you know I have, I, I, there was a fantastic piece by Marley Parrish. I mean, she did a really great job of, of digging in and actually talking to teachers. Yes. And I, I mean, I thought, I mean, well, I mean, I'll ask you, but I mean, it seemed to me that teachers were kind of, their voices were really represented in that article in ways that you don't often get to see. Yeah. Um, um, so, I, I mean, she writes that piece in part what you've just said. I mean, um, I, I mean, I think that, you, you know, when you just said, you had this meeting 
And then you hear everything that's affirming, but then depressing because you realize how many other teachers are out there. And that also just kind of like hit me and just in terms of say, the isolation of it, <laughs> right? Yes. That, you know, you're doing this in a way that feels like you're doing it alone, but you're finding out you're doing it collectively. Yeah. But then more so that this speaks to what we're starting to see now in the national media and in this Penn Capital Star piece about now, you know, Pennsylvania, you know, and really nationwide, we're starting to look at serious concerns about having a teacher shortage. Yeah. Um, so wh when you're looking at that, I mean, how would you kind of break down that that the reasons for that teaching shortage, um, as we saw both in that article, but just kind of more broadly. I mean, I know this is kind of your kind of, you know, lane, if you will. <laughs> yeah, this is what this is what is motivating me. And I don't mm -hmm. I don't mean for this to sound negative towards kids because it's not. But when I was a young teacher, I was so motivated by going to school and working with my kids and like, you know, getting the best sound out of the my little elementary band that I could. And I'm still motivated by by that. And my kids are awesome. And they make me laugh every day. And when they work hard, and it pays off. Um, as a quick aside, I just went to a conference this past week uh, in the Poconos at Kalahari, actually, um, the music ed educators conference. And I saw two of my former students from when I used to teach up in Cameron County that are in the Allstate band this year. They were oh, among awesome. the best band kids in the whole state of Pennsylvania and I hadn't seen these kids in six years and I cried when I oh. saw them because you know and so like those things are obviously still motivating however I've reached this point in my career um, where I'm more motivated by like trying to figure out how to make this better for teachers um, because kids are great kids are always going to be great no matter what happens kids are always going to be great and teachers like to teach because we love the kids however there's too much other stuff that's getting in the way of us being able to enjoy our jobs. Um, this is not new. This has been happening for a long time. Uh, I feel like I graduated college in 2008 and it was already kind of starting. You could see the decline in people who were enrolling in teacher prep programs. And so we have kind of this twofold problem where not enough people want to be teachers, which I don't know if that has anything to do with how demonized we've been for, I don't know, ever. Um, and the fact that we get paid absolute garbage because it's a mostly feminized workforce and women just, you know, according to lawmakers, we don't deserve to be paid as much. So, yep. you know. Um, also, like women used to just be funneled into teaching and now like we can do whatever the hell they want, like whatever the hell we want. We could do anything for a job. And so not as many people want to be teachers. And it is a reality we have to confront. Um, so like that's a big problem. There's like a, a real shortage of people even being trained to be teachers. But we also have this like this, um, you know, problem happening at the same time where current teachers and people who did go to school to be teachers are getting the hell out because they can't take it anymore. And that is a relatively new-ish phenomenon. Um, but it was starting to happen even before COVID. And it's just gotten so much worse because, I don't know, we've been through something traumatic. And we just realized, like, we value our lives and our sanity and our mental health more than a paycheck sometimes. And if I could get paid more to do something else that I can leave there when I come home and fully commit myself to, you know, my family or my civic engagements or whatever... Right. Why would I continue to put myself through all this stress? Um, and I think that's something, I mean, if again, in that article, a lot of those folks have left teaching. Um, I know so many people who have left teaching and, and they're good friends of mine, you know, and I've thought about it. I've left yeah. quite a few times, but I keep coming back because I'm a mm -hmm. glutton for punishment. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that we really need to confront. But the good news, Kevin, is that Barb Glime has figured out how to solve the teacher shortage. I don't know if you saw this this week. I, I um, did not see this. Please do tell. <laughs> she got in one of these Moms for Liberty Facebook groups and, <sighs> and had this whole post about how what we really need to solve the substitute teacher crisis, which that's a whole other thing we should talk about, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, not only do we not have enough regular teachers, we don't have subs. And so then yep. we lose our plan periods because we're covering other people's classes. Um, and the whole thing, I mean, they're on coverage days. Kids could have, instead of like their four normal teachers, they could have like eight or nine different people throughout the I day. I see it happen to my kids all the time. It's yep. absolutely crazy. <clears throat> yep. Um, anyway, but Barb Glime has solved this problem because she says that we just need some good conservative parents to, to sign up as substitutes so that they can be the eyes and ears in our classrooms wow. to weed out these teachers who are indoctrinating our children. Um, you know, public, not, well, I don't want to say public, but she posted it and there are screenshots. 
it's out there. This is Barb Glime's solution. Well, well that's going in my book. That'll, that'll well, I'll tell you, you know, problems. this is, and you know, I mean, this has been one of the long term, I mean, not to get us too far off track here, but this has been the long term agenda of people like her, mm-hmm. right? Is like, it's never, and this is, you know, I always try to want to say, get this through some, the, the people's heads, right? You know, especially like the good liberals, right? You know, like where they're like, you know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, they're kind of like, well, you know, it's like they just want to end private education or, or public education and they want to. So, well, no, 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 that's not exactly what they want. They want public money to pay for their private education so they can have control over the Christian nationalist future of this country. That's exactly it. It's like it has not it is it does they don't want you to go pay for the church school, right? They ultimately and this is in like you know this is what Alec was doing, this is what we saw the Bradley Foundation, this is what we see with the Commonwealth Foundation, is this is the charterization of public schools has all moved it in that direction. And to see this now and of course, you know Okay, uh, no, I don't want to kind of be too disparaging of 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 people on the right. That's a lie, but that's <laughs> but, but but you know it's like okay, so I I think about like you know like these creatures that always appear like in whether it's fantasy or science fiction or fiction stuff that that feed off anger and despair, yep. right? And what blows my mind is these people seem to be well adapted, right, for the the most despairing and hopeless times as a way to kind of gain more power. Yeah. And they they don't miss a beat. Like so what when teachers are at the bottom, we're facing a national like like crisis and somehow these people are not exhausted but they're feeding off us. Yep. <laughs> right? To try to sweep in and to kind of convert public education from under our noses. It's incredible yeah. to me. Yeah, we're all feeling the way we're feeling. And um, the 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 scary thing about it, I think, is how well organized the opposition yes. is. And they're all showing up at the same and they're and they're reading the same talking points and they're all pushing the same policies um, at, at like all of our schools. Right. It's not it's not just in York County or Adams County or Bucks County, like it's it's like a it's a well coordinated right. playbook, right? Um, we had a board member introduce um a policy. Now, luckily, it didn't pass yet. Knock on wood, but introduce one of these. Oh, there goes my kid. Um, curriculum <laughs> transparency bills, right? Where and this we is have to... one thing I wanted to talk about tonight, exactly, yep. because you have to that piece too as well. Yes. So this particular policy was written, uh, and again, I'm sure it's verbatim or close to verbatim what's been going around everywhere else um we would have to post everything we're using in our classrooms everything websites um instructional materials anything we wanted to use would have to be posted um for the semester like before the semester begins which i'm like all about having your syllabus or whatever but but what this what this um would have done is if we would use something that we didn't have posted at least a week in advance we would get a letter like a disciplinary letter. And if we did it twice, we could get fired. So the example I like to use is um, I teach a creative arts class to eighth grade that's called beat. And so we do all kinds of like non-traditional percussion stuff. We did boom whackers, mm-hmm. which are like these colorful tubes and you hit them on stuff and they make, they play different notes. Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And then they're called boom whackers. Those they're are called those boom whackers. Yes. Yeah, so they're super fun. Um, everyone should have some. They're not that expensive. And it's good stress relief to beat the crap out of stuff, but play songs while you do it. Uh, but right now we're doing a bucket drumming unit. And so I have a bunch of like play alongs on YouTube. And yes, thank you, darling. Uh, sorry, my child. Uh, and sometimes like when I'm doing that, you know, like on YouTube, there's that side menu and it'll yep. show you like other videos you might want to watch. Sometimes when we're playing these play alongs, the kids will be like, oh, can we do that song? And I'm like, sure. Like, let's do it. But if I did that, you know, like on the fly, I could get a letter in my file because I didn't have it. You know, I didn't have it advertised on my whatever uh, website a week in advance. Um, so to think that like they want the power to fire us over something. Now, that doesn't mean that they would, but they could. And they will hold that over us to make sure we're doing every. It, it's not like they're 
they're coming after us, you know, like specifically, it's just that they want that power. And that's part of what I mean when I say we're not burning out, we're being burned. It's just this constant surveillance. It's this feeling that we're not trusted as professionals. And I'm sorry, I have a master's degree. I'm about to complete, you know, an additional graduate certificate. And like, we have to continuously educate ourselves. And we are trained in, in professional standards. And like, we're not trusted. We're not trusted. We're not treated as professionals. We're treated as babysitters. And like that curriculum transparency stuff is just part of it. It's just part of it. Well, and it's like you think about, you know, folks that, you know, when you went to school for teaching and then, then well, God, when I went to school kind of go through is that there was this certain kind of expectation you're doing this, right? So that you're going to become kind of an expert or professional in your field. Right. And there was a certain degree of support for that in our culture. I mean, it's never been 100%, right? But there's always been kind of contestatory stuff. But, you know, this is like completely on like flipping things on their head. And I'm like, yeah. I want a teacher who's going to be going to be able to make decisions on the fly based upon what, you know, what's happening in the classroom and kind of follow up. And I think about the number of times, for example, that I'm having, say, say, I do these like small group conferences, right? And things come up in that small group conferences about what you know students are working on their research or whatever and then the next day in class i'm like oh we were talking about this thing i thought this would be a good idea to show to everybody in class so we um here's this article or here's this thing or this little video that we're looking at addresses some of this stuff and that's part of that what makes classes dynamic that's what makes education engaging and to basically say to a teacher first of all to say that you're supposed to post all this stuff at the beginning of the year that's just insane yeah it is. And and like look, I think all all good teachers probably have some kind of outline of their curriculum sure. and some school districts are way better than others about having curriculum easily accessible to parents and whatever. Most if not all school districts already have policies on the books on how parents can access or challenge certain parts of those curriculum. And 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 good, like fine if if you need an outlet do that. Like, that's fine. If you really feel strongly that your kids should not read a certain book, fine. But why do you get to decide that no kid can read that book? Or, you know, it's it's like you said, like, we're just not treated as, as respected professionals. And it's frustrating because it's like, how many of you out there in my community are certified music teachers? Right. You know what I mean? Like I went, I put myself through a crazy amount of schooling and I have a mountain of student debt so that I can pick, you know, classic bits and pieces, grade one half piece for fifth and sixth grade band. Like it's just, it's frustrating. In what other profession do you as, as a community member or a parent get to go in and tell other people what to do and how to do their job? Um, and maybe part of this is an entitlement issue, but so much of it has sprung up over the last couple of years because there's just this emboldened feeling of, well, we're getting away with it. So what else can we do? Right. Um, and it's frustrating and you can see it in the kids too. Yeah. You just made me think. So one of the things that's kind of in this article too, as well, um, I, I, I'm forgetting who I don't think it was you mentioning it was whether it was one of the other teachers that were mentioning there's kind of saying that it is showing up in the kids too. It's showing up. I mean, we've seen the the stress that the pandemic has put on this, but it's also changed say behavior in the classroom um, or in schools um, in ways that are different. Right. I mean, again, Kids are going to express things in a variety of different kinds of ways, right? It's not right. like school. We're always problem-free or something like this. But that that's having a kind of a discernible impact on what's happening in the classroom. And is, I mean, are you seeing that too as well? Are you seeing that among colleagues? Are you seeing that kind of more broadly in kind of education across the state of the country? Yeah, I think it's it's a little tricky to, to put your finger on. I don't mm-hmm. want to make a blanket statement that all that's behaviors amongst children are, right. are bad. You know, like, I don't think that's the case. I think what we're witnessing right now is a trauma on all of us and very different responses to that trauma. And not only from the pandemic, but from what learning at home has been. I have an only child. And so he spent a very long time not around any other children and missing out on many months of what normal, you know, like childhood development should include and how to interact with your peers and how to be respectful and how to be, you know, how to just function in school. And as, as often as I rail against, you know, maybe some of the organizational structures of education and how we still kind of 
expect kids to learn the way we wanted them to learn during the industrial revolution. Like, don't get me started on that stuff. You know, there's a lot wrong. Academic capitalism, book one. Seriously, there's a lot wrong with the structures of our schools. Um, And I think any teacher would tell you that. I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly like, you know, like one issue. I don't want to say all behavior, but I do definitely want to lift up the fact that we are all kids and adults dealing with this trauma in one way or another. And so maybe kids are having different behaviors, but I think we as as educators and school professionals are also having maybe slightly different reactions to those behaviors because we're under 800 million other stressors and we don't have enough staff. And if one more person tells me to practice self-care, I'm going to punch them in the throat. Thank um, you for saying that. You know, and I feel like the kids feel that too. Like, of course we say things like, we want rigor. We want to have high expectations for our students. And at the same time, we want our students to function as human beings and we want them to know that we love and respect and care for them. And sometimes it's hard to balance what administration wants you to do. Like they want us to have high standards. And of course we want to expect a lot from our kids, but we're not ready to say everything needs to be at the level it was before the pandemic. Like a lot of us are just not there where we're ready to push our kids that much because we see how much they're still struggling with what used to feel normal. And now, seriously, just like going through adolescence is hard enough. I teach middle school. Like middle school is not easy even in the best of times. And so having all these extra stressors, knowing that we don't have enough mental health supports for our kids, um, not only are they having behavioral issues that might be a little different, but we're having a different reaction to it as well. And I think it's just, it would be interesting if there are people kind of doing research on that on that topic. Um, no, I don't know what great, that would even look like, but. No, that's, I mean, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, what you just said there about standards too as well. I also think, I'm wondering if, you know, if we're starting to see some, say, cracks in a long history of the what the way that we talk about standards in public education, the argument that I shouldn't say argument, it's not an argument. It's kind of like more an exchange, I should say, when I get very frustrated when I hear, uh, you know, you see these articles that are coming out about this. You're hearing this from our local school administrators. You're seeing this and it creeps up in kind of statewide legislation, too, as well. You talk about like learning loss. Right. And that we want to be rigorous of basic kind of standards. And I keep on all I can think about is like. We just went through a, a pandemic. Yeah. And to talk, you know, these kids, and I talk about, I say this to my kids all the time too, is that, look, these kids have just gone through something that none of us have ever gone through. And they have developed skills and habits that none of us have, that they had to do this when they were kids. What would it look like to talk about high standards for dealing with that? Right. But that gets us into precisely this stuff that is being attacked in some of this legislation, like the social emotional learning, like even the kind of stuff when you're talking about DEI initiatives, which are attempted to kind of let's look at kids for who they are and make sure that they have a space within these schools. Right. And think about learning in those terms. Instead, we just see this re- this like willful reassertion of like the PSEAs and, or not yeah, the, the PSSA. Sorry. Yeah. The PSSA. Sorry. Like, I confused <laughs> the union and the test. That's weird. Um, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> got a lot. Uh-huh. Of, uh, another show. Um, yes. But uh, and that's, uh, you know, to see this reassertion of this, you know, of this this rubric that doesn't seem fit for where we're at today. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that, you know, I mean, this what is it like the the NEA's uh, <laughs> this was just crazy. The NEA's report that came out said, uh, what, 55 percent was it? Fifty five percent of teachers are looking for leaving. Right. Uh, we're considering leaving um, their professions. And mm-hmm. I, I, some of it has got to be part of those policies that preexisted COVID. Right. Right. That teachers have been rushing to try to kind of get on top of and still maintain some semblance of the school as a place of learning, not as just kind of a machine to grind kids through. Yeah. And it seems to me that that may be something that's here on the horizon is like we look forward. What the hell are we actually doing to our kids? Yeah. So like I said, finishing this education policy certificate, and this has been my entire school year, has been wrestling with all of these. You know, I'm a music (laughs) teacher. Ask me my opinion on standardized tests. You know, like, what are you going to standardize test to how to hold your murder tube and ban? Like, this is not this is not a thing that I find particularly valuable. And I also would like to just lift up that when people are talking about learning loss, look at who's talking. 
and and try to read between the lines because I think what a lot of these folks are talking about is not learning loss. It's talking about test score loss because yes. all they understand is test scores and this percentage isn't high enough. And I personally would like to see us move away from thinking that scores on a PSSA have anything to do with what these kids have actually learned this year because it doesn't. It just doesn't. And I'm not saying that all standardized testing is terrible. I think it can it can serve a useful purpose, but it's not right now in Pennsylvania. Um, again, I teach music. Why should any part of my evaluation have anything to do with how a bunch of kids that I don't even teach perform on a test a couple of days in April right. when we've just gone through a pandemic? Now, I'm not going to say learning loss is not a real thing. Um, I think there have definitely been a lot, again, of trauma and serious impacts. And I teach band. So like my sixth graders right now have never had a normal band experience. Mm -hmm. They started out the year. They've never played a live concert. They've been playing this is their third year and they've never had a concert. Now that that is something that's going to be hard. It's going to take years, especially for music programs to recover mm -hmm. from this because we we literally couldn't rehearse. Like what are we supposed to do? Um so there is such a thing, I will say, as learning loss, but I don't look at it as as them losing things they already knew. It's an opportunity loss and Everybody is going through that, that's different. no matter what. Right. It's very different. And so I would just like for these conversations to have that framing, but they don't because it's test score loss. And that's all these people care about. You know, I look at things like, you know, you said you teach music and why should this matter with standardized testing? But I also think about, you know, music programs, art programs, all these things that have been, say, cut or pushed aside in a lot of school districts, right, were precisely the things that I think that kids went to in many ways, to deal with this trauma, yeah, right? I mean, thinking about, say, music, about creativity, about these spaces that allowed kind of an expression. And, you know, guess what? That's not something that's easy to test on us, you know, a kind of a fill-in-the-bubble, fill you know, multi-choice questionnaire. Right. We're teaching them actual, like, life skills and how to connect with their culture. And, you know, um, culture is going to carry them much farther no matter what they these kids decide to do as a career or like like can we maybe get away from this idea that schooling exists just to train people to to become human capital um it, that's not that's not life right yeah okay get a job make some money so that you can eat like cool but also society sucks <laughs> maybe we could address that issue separately um but yeah, like eating's good you know but I, we could do more bread and roses everybody bread and be roses. more yeah exactly it, and <laughs> and so what i do and and what arts teachers in general and theater and like phys ed and sports like we all connect people to their humanity um and i don't think that should be measured on a standardized test because that would be bullshit and stupid but like if if the people in the legislature <laughs> could maybe understand that the purpose of education should be for well-rounded individuals who can enjoy their existence, right? It's not mm -hmm. all about how much money are they going to make for the state, right? But, like, tell that to anybody in Harrisburg, and it's just – it's all connected. You know, like, I, I wanted to teach because I wanted to help kids, and I wanted to run for office because I wanted to help kids. And now, you know, the second time I ran for office is because I wanted to help teachers because <laughs> I see <laughs> – you know, you can help kids by making sure their teachers have, have what they need. And now that I'm back in the classroom, it's just like I've just completely doubled down on, you know, my life's work is going to be improving public education for teachers because when you do that, it will improve things for the students. I can, you know, teach the best class ever, but if I'm not getting paid well enough and our school's falling apart, like, are the kids going to remember that or right. gonna, are they going to remember that they're hungry and my windows sound like demons when the wind blows? Um, I'm in a brand new building, by the way, and we're still dealing with like physical plant issues in a brand new building. Um, you know, like, but those are the things kids remember. They remember like, I don't know, are there physical needs being met? Do my teachers always look like they want to murder people or am I in a safe, nurturing environment? And honestly, I don't know what kids are going to remember from yeah. this year, but I know what I'm going to remember and it's going to be stress. <sighs> Lots of I it. I hear that. I yeah. hear that. Well, okay. So I, as a kind of, I could talk, I could talk to you forever about this stuff and, um, but I won't do that to you <laughs> because I know you've got like a, th yeah, you've got a thousand and one things that I could never even imagine fitting into my day that you do. Um, <laughs> oh, but I want to correct the record. I was recently oh. elected as a Southern region PSEA oh. PACE director. I was appointed, I am, but then on Friday I was just elected. So I'm official. I now. am 
correcting the notes now. And I'm, I'm official. <laughs> you are official. I won another election, not just township <laughs> auditor. You tried to keep me down, York County. You tried, but you can't. So, anyway. so uh, like, on top of, like, being a teacher, which I can't imagine doing anything else at the end of the day other than that, if I, if I, like, a full commitment that is for, for, like, your job. So you're also, I mean, obviously you've been kind of deeply involved in kind of revitalizing uh, democratic politics um, kind of in uh, the center part of the state. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, let's be let's be real. I mean, um, it's about building a kind of uh, networks of people um, in particular, kind of getting kind of strong women to run, um, making sure that we're getting rid of the kind of the old male white club that is dominating the freaking state legislature for way too long. Um, And. And have built kind of, you know, structures and organizations um, in kind of your county, which has just been astounding um, that that you've been part of building these things. And and people know that, Um, obviously, as you were appointed, I'm sorry, elected. (laughs) And now we're here. So let me ask you this as a way kind of kind of moving things, closing out for the night. It's like, you know, we're obviously I'm not telling you anything new, but we're we're facing you know, a, a really significant midterm election that's coming up in the fall. Yeah. Um, and we're in a context which I think, you know, I, I think a lot of folks on the, say, I'll say left, but I mean that broadly. I mean, you know, kind of center to left, right? The kind of general coalition of people who don't want to descend into authoritarianism. We'll, yeah. we'll start that. <laughs> Even, well, not all those people. Some of those people I don't want that. But anyways. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I do think it's fair to say that a lot of folks are, have been exhausted, um, yeah. but there's been some pretty amazing organizing that's been happening at the school board level um, and statewide level, too, as well. So I'm curious what your read is on things moving um, kind of toward the fall, like things that we should be paying attention to is kind of uh, – you know, kind of legislation that you see that we need to watch out for, or really just some kind of organizing efforts that seem to be important, um, or, you know, kind of as we move towards these midterm elections and beyond. Yeah. Um, I, my, my general take on the 2022 on all aspects of 22, but especially this election is that everything sucks. I'm tired of it already. And oh my God, is this over yet? Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not even the primary Kevin. And I'm already just like so checked out. The the problem, and, and I know you were joking that like I do all these things and how do you have time? And the problem is I have to do all those things because I will feel like I am letting somebody down if I'm not doing those things because there aren't enough people doing these things. And I think we need to just have like a real come to Jesus moment um, as folks on the left about how much work this takes. And the people on the right may be idiots, but they're idiots who show up. And so they can whip a bunch of people to show up to a meeting and they can they can do that better than we can right now. And that sucks. And I think we need to be like really open and honest about that. And it's hard to get people to show up to things because some of us have tiny children and some of us work and we're involved in a million things. And I work and I have a tiny child and I'm involved in a million things and I'm still doing those things because I am terrified about what will happen if I don't. And not that I have some kind of savior complex. I'm not doing this. Like the Northern York Club has grown. We have like 216 paying members for a little club in Dillsburg, York County. Like who the hell five years ago would have ever thought that was possible? Um, but it is because we, we do the work. You know, like we, we form this club. We have monthly meetings. We're knocking doors. We're making calls. We're doing the post. Like we're doing the things all the time. And we just need more people to be doing that. And it's it's really hard to convince people that they need to get active um, because it's easier to not. I, I know how much easier it is to just snark on Twitter because I do that too. But it's not enough. And I think people know that if Look, I'm not like waving the I heart Josh Shapiro flag like a fangirl, but if he does not win, we are right. screwed. And so like I need I need more people to be participating in democracy right now with that attitude of like we got to get this guy elected. And and if he is not with us on some issues, we can push him, but you can't push Dr. Oz. You can't right. push Doug Mastriano. I teach, Jesus by the way, Christ. in Doug Mastriano's district. And let me tell you how terrifying it is mm-hmm. to see the signs. Um, you know, I people need to people need to just like look, 
bite off what you can chew. I'm not asking anyone to have the schedule that I have. You don't have to have your Google calendar look like mine because it's madness and it's hard to keep track of. And sometimes I think my husband wants to strangle me because I do too many things and I get it. But like if people aren't doing the things, the things don't get done and then we lose. And so like I just want to stress (laughs) – I know. I, he just gave me the side eye. I just, <laughs> I just want to stress that even if all you can do is one thing, do the freaking thing. Like, do the thing. Find the thing you can do and do it. And then tell somebody else to do something, too. Because as much as we want to sit around and complain about the party and how this isn't in good shape and why aren't we doing this and why doesn't this structure exist, it's because people just haven't done it. And so it's not going to get better if we don't do it. And so are party politics fun? No. They're not fun, but somebody's got to do it because the best way for us to make change is within the structure that exists as much as it would be super fun to just like start a third party and like, you know, we can't do that. Like, it's just not realistic. So if your county party sucks, take it over. And that was like a bit of an inside joke because there are people who are saying that um, I and the Northern New York Dems are staging a coup and trying to take over Northern York County, to which I roll my eyes and say, with what time am I staging a coup? Oh, Shanna, come on. We know you're lying right now. Come on. We know you're taking damn. it over. You know it's a whole coup. Come on. I'm taking over everything. Um, I mean, I was just elected Southern Region Pace <laughs> See? Director. So That's what I'm saying. I know it's all happening. Um, but it's just like it looks like we're taking over because we're actually doing shit. Like, imagine what world we could live in if people would just do shit, <laughs> but but they don't. And I get it. People are busy. But when people are busy, Doug Mastriano wins the governor's mansion and we're all screwed. So, dear folks, find the thing you can do and please do it. Just please do something because, I mean, the midterms are garbage. The Senate race is a mess. Um, everything sucks. And I'm so tired of reading about it because nobody's going to be perfect. But seriously, whoever wins, people... Just do the work, because if we don't do the work, it's going to get a lot worse. Right. And I think, like, you know, to, to your point there, well, two things. One, I think the work that you have done out in your county has given a lot of other folks some guidance, um, too, as well. And again, I don't mean to say this is all just Shanna, right? I mean, right. I know that. It is not. I mean, I'll be clear. I mean, I know you'll be the last person in the world that would yeah. say, yes, it is all just me. I mean, you're always shouting out people that you work with, the amazing yeah. folks that have, have done that work out there to build that party up, right? And yeah. build up the organization from the ground up. So I want to make sure I say that. So, but that's, that's given a lot, of, you know, especially in my neck of the woods, right? here i'm here in bucks county which is like you know freaking you know one of the many front lines and the kind of you know QAnon takeover of our school boards um and but i tell you the first signs the first yard signs that went up um across the street for me were doug mastriano right and the whole cohort of of the folks that are getting funded by those things and but at the same time you know they went through two cycles of school board elections dealing with some extremists and now you've got a group of folks who are doing the kind of organizing that you're talking about right and i have are very clear-eyed about it i've been very hopeful about this actually i have to say this also in central bucks um, area and palisades district where you have you know and again once again it's primarily women who did the organizing on, on the ground up and we know that they both Yes, let's lift that up and at the same time recognize the disparity at the same time because mm-hmm. those things could be true, both of those true at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I, but I see, you know, the fruits of the running in those districts um, and building organizations. And I have to say, and having to see the, the major fails by the uh, by the official Dem parties um, kind of giving very, very bad um, advice to school districts to kind of avoid CRT, to avoid any controversial issues, to kind of just yeah. talk about quality education, sank a lot of those campaigns that might have been able to pull out an additional seat or two. But but yeah. they know that, they learned the lessons and are building up for this. So I think that, you know, we can see that it's doable, but it does take time. It does. Um, and it also takes a certain amount of commitment to like be authentic, you know, Um I've listened to the the episodes where you've you've talked to those candidates about those consultant type things, and luckily we don't get a lot of consultants out here because no one cares about us. But um, <laughs> but it's the same, you know, where like the the powers that be will just mm-hmm. leave them unnamed. Will tell you you need to do X, Y, and Z to run a great campaign, and you need to do, and like things that just don't make sense. They're not practical here. Right. Um, one of my favorite compliments about my Senate race was 
months after I lost seeing someone comment on somebody else's Twitter feed about how I was the only candidate they were actually excited to vote for because at least I said how I felt. And like, I just wish people would do that. Like, yeah. just say how you feel. Are, are some of your ideas going to not go over well with some people in your district? Sure. But you know what? They're going to respect you for being authentic with how you feel. And and giving some give people something to be excited about. Like I'm so sick of of people just like deferring to the the party platform and it's like, look, if you believe that we need to do something like universal health care or if you believe that we need to reform the way we fund our schools, go talk about that. Are some people's eyes going to glaze over? Yeah, probably, but they're going to remember how weirdly passionate you were about that totally <laughs> niche thing no one's ever heard of and then they're going to like go look into it, you know? Yeah. Um just you know, like run on shit that actually matters. Um, and please just like be yourself, please. And then also run for office. Oh my God, we need you. Please run for office right now. Yeah, You know, I, I haven't said this, uh, publicly very often. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I am now the judge of elections in my, on my ward yeah. <laughs> because nobody was running. Are you staying in a coup, like, Kevin? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, I would, I was like, there was nobody running. I'm like, what? How could nobody run? Mm -hmm. And like, I have got this weird thing where I also think, you know, on the one hand, I'm a partisan and a fighter and all this stuff, but I have a really deep commitment to democracy, right? Yeah. Just the functioning of the democracy, <laughs> right? And I've gotten off the phone with some people who have worked in this ward for a long time. And these people, all they care about is things going well. Yeah. And to have a good experience because we have we haven't had the craziness in our particular little ward and these people are awesome. And so it's like, you know, at least I can approach that in that way. But mm -hmm. I, I feel like those are the kind of things that, you know, even if it's something like this and I don't know what the frick I'm doing. Right. And I'm yeah, learning. No, exactly. And it's scary and it feels overwhelming. And but that's just it. And then you end up finding people like I got the phone with this woman who had been the, the judge of elections for a long time. And she was just amazing. Yeah. Just wanted to be helpful and wanted to build a connection. And she says, you know, what's the best part about this job? You get to meet your neighbors. Yes, that's right. That's why everyone should be a, a precinct committee person or, a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, seriously, it starts small. But I couldn't necessarily tell you the names of the people that live on my street. But I could tell you, like, that lady is married to the, this guy and they care about immigration because he was born in another country. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you that these people have a kid in swimming and they really care about school funding. And like, and I don't know their names, but I know their stories, you know, yeah. and that's more powerful. And, and you don't have to run for state legislative office to have those experiences. Like every single person listening should pick up a walk list and do some door knocking for Shapiro, not because he deserves a hero's reception, but because seriously, I don't even want to know what's going to happen if he does not win. So like, go do that. Just go. And even yep. if it's just in your neighborhood, you know, the stories that you'll hear, it's really impactful. It makes a big difference. Yep. And I'll just, uh, and to kind of bring it to close on that point too, as well, where just like in that article from Marley Parish, it says the only thing, the reason why we do not have a statewide legislation that is forcing teachers to put all their curriculum up online for yeah. a year ahead of time is because of, of Governor Wolf's veto. Yeah. And the only thing that is going to protect a, a kind of a women's right to choose, the only thing that is going to protect kind of like all sorts of like voting protections is to make sure that we at the very least have someone who's sitting in the governor's office that is yeah. going to veto that kind of legislation. We need a backstop. We absolutely need it. 100%. Yeah. Well, Shanna, um, it's awesome talking to you as always. Um, and um, I, I know it, it's, it's kind of, I f I've always, I tend to f have this feeling when I, every time I talk to you too, it's like on both ends, like I share in the gloom yeah. <laughs> right, of how bad it are, but I also feel hopeful, right? Because I know that it's the, it's the mix of those things, right? And I, yeah. I mean, and if anybody has, uh, has demonstrated what can be done, right, with some effort and some will and for energy that I don't know where the hell you get it from. Coffee. But seriously, yeah, coffee. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Um, but yep. seriously, thank you for all the work that you're doing. And listen, everybody should definitely be checking out Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Um, oh, yes. Make sure you subscribe to that wherever you get your podcast. We have um, a good time. Follow them on Twitter because it's awesome. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> New episode drops on Wednesday, so... Drop the, you took so was there a couple weeks off right? Yes, we took a mental That's health right. break last week. 
Um, Good choice. But we're back. We're back. Don't worry. We will hex all the things, and you can hear the saga about my backyard, which we didn't even get into on this episode. So no, I actually I almost went there once, but I'm like, you know what? No. You don't deserve that. No, <laughs> so. I need a break. I'm thinking about it, but everyone can tune in to uh, to this week's episode for the full rundown on other things I would like to punch in the face <laughs> <laughs> and get a little stabby with. Seriously. <laughs> oh, Excellent. Well, definitely check that out. You drops on Wednesday. You said right? Yep. Yep. Make sure you check that out. The new episode this Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe to Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Make sure you follow Shanna Danielson on all the socials. Info on that you can find in tonight's show notes. Um, and Shanna, um, we're getting through it. And uh, yeah. thank you for the advice. You just do the thing. Just I do the that thing. thing. And do the thing. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. And a special thank you once again to Shanna Danielson and all the work that she's doing. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to remind you that next week that we'll have a show yet to be announced. Um, We'll see what we got going on. And then in two weeks, we'll have Daisy Pitkin on to talk about her new book, On the Line. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. You can help support this show. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a member today, everybody. Let's do the thing. Pick the thing. Do the thing. (laughs) See ya!